Good Wednesday afternoon. It is the afternoon rush on 7 30. The game 97.5 FM and online ESPN CLT.com. Bobby, Mark, Molly, as we are with you here for the next three hours. 7 30, the game re- rewind will follow at 6. Davidson basketball tonight as they take on Duquesne. That game will start at 7 with Jared Latch's coverage at 6.30. Coming up here on the show in 40 minutes, we'll talk with Mike Pritchard, former NFL wide receiver, now a lead NFL analyst at VEASAN. And uh, we'll talk Super Bowl with Mike. Cam Rogers going to stop by with Believe at 4.15. More on the Super Bowl. And Reggie Walker will join us for his normal Wednesday conversation. That will be at 4.45. You can text in 704-800-4827 or give us a call 704-332-0173. Had a very about calm and respectable show with Al Wallace about till the end. And I'm assuming, Molly, you're the one that I wrote did. this on the rundown. We're having our Brandon Miller LaMelo conversation. Now, I will say, I would think a lot more people think like Al. Because they're right. because they're blinded mm-hmm. by Lamelo and what he could be, but also Brandon Miller for what he's doing as a rookie, I would think is only going to get better for Brandon Miller. I mean, you look at a guy that I think could be an NBA superstar. I feel like Brandon Miller can be that. So to say you can't build the team around Brandon Miller, I think is crazy. To have that thought. Yeah, Al casually said it. Like, you know, you're not building a team around Brandon. And then you said, wait, what? Why not? And I'm <laughs> glad don't. you did because I think I think I audibly said, why wouldn't you build this team around Miller and what he has consistently brought you from game one here in his rookie season and especially as of late versus LaMelo Ball, which, yeah, and I heard Al, look, talent-wise, yeah, he's great. He's not on the court. And we're already talking even – what the perception is around the league of LaMelo Ball. We had Kurt Heelan join us yesterday and said, hey, it's not red flags up, but it's kind of orange flags right now with LaMelo in the injury. And he is one injury away. I think one, you know, not of, oh, he's got soreness. He can't come out. But a legit injury away from all of us having to admit what it is here with LaMelo Ball. So I'm building this team around Brandon Miller over LaMelo Ball at this point. And at the end of the season, when LaMelo or uh, Miller has a, an incredible rookie year, hopefully more people are saying that. I'm just going to build it on who I can depend on to be out on the floor. And right now, that's Brandon Miller. It's not LaMelo Ball. Well, and look, it's not that you can't honestly build it around We're both, both right? right? That I would mean, be the ideal yeah. Last situation. Last I checked, one guy yeah. is not going to win you an NBA right. championship. You need multiple players to be a part of that. And I'm not even talking NBA championship. I'm trying to beat a train to an arena <laughs> so we can win a playing yeah. tournament game is where I'm at. Texter uh, says, I'm with you, Bobby, on that. So glad you're joining here the right side of this with Brandon Miller. But, again, it's not that LaMelo can't be a part of the future of this, but to say you can't build it around Brandon Miller. We'll wait for tomorrow and you have the NBA show with Alan Mario on the Al Wallace show from 2 to 3 here on at 7 at 30 the game. Uh, we'll keep going basketball right now. We'll start ACC. We'll get into Aaron Fern. He heard his comments there in the open coming up in the next segment as the Niner win streak came to an end. But North Carolina, game all three of us yesterday looked at the spread and go, ha, that's, uh, that's too small. <laughs> North Carolina's going to take care of business in this game. Well, they didn't. 
I don't think they ever led in this game, nope. right? I mean, they were they able tied. to tie it at we 70. We all thought at halftime, like, all right, this will be a big second half for Carolina. They're just toying with Clemson. Yeah, they hit those couple threes late there at the end of the first half. You thought might be something to get going for UNC, but Clemson wins at 80-76. to 76, First AP top uh, five road win since 1977. They're now two in 60 all-time in Chapel Hill, and I think the most concerning thing is when you hear from the Tar Heels after the game, here was Armando Baycott. Yeah, we got what we deserved. I thought after the game on Saturday, our approach Sunday, Monday, wasn't how we wanted, and that's what the coaches told us. I mean, coming into this game, they weren't happy with how we practiced, some of the things we did. I mean, I guess Saturday it's an emotional game. A lot of stuff goes into it, but at the end of the day, we got a job to do, and we got to come ready to play. And Today we definitely learned a lesson because this is the first day, and I mean, Coach had a locker room, man. He feels like we didn't come to work, and the hungrier team won. And going into this game, Cormac had been telling us, me, been telling the guys, like, Clemson, like, they're desperate. This is the win they need to keep that season alive. But if they don't win this game, then, you know, it's a tough situation for them. And they were hungrier than us today. They beat us at everything. And I get that it's emotionally tough after you beat North Carroll, or excuse me, you beat Duke. But, I mean, this is a team with Baycott being one of them where you beat damn Duke in the championship, or the Final Four, went to the championship, and did lead that game by, what, 15 at halftime before eventually you would fall in the second half in the title game. But you've been in plenty of these moments before. This is an experienced North Carolina team. And to hear that, I think there was, what, guys late to pregame warm-ups yeah. as well? I mean, look, Duke game was a few days ago. Yeah. I, I, to find out you're showing up late for this the preparation i get sunday sunday yeah win saturday night having a good time but by monday morning that game should have been flushed out of your mind flushed out of your mind and all about clemson because as baycott said you knew this was going to be a hungry tiger team that was hoping to make a statement and they kicked you in the butt right off the bat where it's 15 to 2 before you even wake up in this game and that's the alarming part bobby that you touched on is these aren't like freshmen that are experienced this win Saturday night and then we're trying to follow it up. These are experienced guys. Baycott's been there for 14 years. You mentioned Cormac Ryan, who, yeah, he came from Notre Dame where they weren't winning, but he's an experienced guy. He's 25 years old. R.J. Davis has been in this system for a while. Ingram has played a lot of basketball. So these guys are experienced. And to be just kind of, you know, lollygagging here for the last couple of days, is that's surprising to hear and – you know, I guess in the long run, it could be a wake-up call for them, but you, but you, you shouldn't need a wake-up call. If Again, if these were freshmen we were talking about that coming off a win Saturday night, okay, I, maybe you, you get it, but not with this group. That, that was very – that might be more surprising than them losing the game was hearing those comments after the game. And just how soft this conference is. And now I feel like I want to say the entire conference because – over the weekend, I mean, we've been questioning the physicality of Duke and, hey, are they physical enough? The competitive edge you give to Carolina over Duke in that game Saturday. And now to be that ill-prepared for a game like last night and just not into it, it's just a soft conference. And on top of that, just disappointing in generals. Brendan Marks has joined us and said, this is maybe the leanest amount of teams that you'll see in the NCAA tournament in years. Now that win for Clemson last night kind of changes it, which I'm sure we'll get to. But I looked at this game and it's easy to say, okay, everybody has a bad loss, right? You're not looking at two of these in a week for Carolina. And I'm trying not to be such a waffler and such a flip-flopper, but on Monday to come in here and say, yeah, this is legit a Final Four team. It's legit 
legit, clearly Carolina the best. And to then have a loss like that last night, to not even solidify yourself yourself clearly as the number one team in the ACC is atrocious. So it's not just, oh, it's a blimp. It's not a concerning loss. It is concerning because you've had two of them, and one of them was at home last night. But before we turn this into just a you know, free-for-all of, of bashing North Carolina, I do want to give Clemson credit. They, they did play like the more desperate team last night, and they did answer every time North Carolina Felt like they were about to to, to take take this thing over. Clemson answer. Whether it was Joe Girard hitting a three, whether it was PJ Hall grabbing a rebound, uh, you know, making a defensive play, they they answered the call. So yeah, North Carolina wasn't prepared, but give Clemson credit, they were prepared. They got off to a great start and they didn't blink when they could have. No, they were the better team. They deserved to win that game. And when Carolina did tie it at seventy, that's when you're like, all right, that's where I yeah. thought and there was. Oh, yeah. What was it? A missed foul call and then a ball out of bounds that was out on North Carolina, but they gave it to the heels and it was the one time Jay Williams was actually sympathetic to Clemson during this game <laughs> but Carolina turned the ball over on the opposite side and I think Clemson came down scored and never looked back the rest of the way it's the job uh, the game that saves Brad Brunell's job yeah it's, no, hard, it's hard to argue that that's, it is hard yeah. I mean that's why the two of us yesterday Molly <laughs> mentioned that this was the biggest game because for Clemson and what it means, you heard Baycott even say it. Like, we knew it. Like, if they win this game, then they're probably set. But if they lose, who knows what trouble they're going to be in. And if they were an eight seed for Lenardi on Monday, I don't know why he doesn't update it every day. Like, what else do you do? But anyway, <laughs> they get this win against North Carolina. That's got to vault them back up and give them a lot more wiggle room here. I wouldn't lock them in and take a Sharpie and put it in with Clemson, considering how we've played. But also, if you're a Clemson fan, that's probably the frustrating part you watched that game last night. You were legit the better team yeah. than North yeah. Carolina. Why the hell can't you do that on a regular basis? Also, how the hell is Georgia Tech beating Clemson, Dude. North Carolina, and Duke? And they get slaughtered last Man. night by Wake Forest. Oh God. I just can't get that that score out of my mind. At one time, it was 33-5 to five in the That's first amazing. half. Did you catch any of that game? I did not. I didn't. I just, I just kept looking at my phone. I was like, this is really bad. <laughs> this is really bad for Georgia Tech. And credit to Wake against the Georgia Tech team that usually is in every was in a game with NC State. Absolutely, the yeah. I mean, they, they, I know they, they lose a lot, but usually it's going down to the wire. It's a fight, yeah. And that didn't happen. And now for the ACC, a a league that three teams we're looking at probably to get in. It feels like I give five a shot with Wake being that wild card. Now they got to win. Some other game. Beating Georgia Tech doesn't do a whole lot, but you did beat the crap out of Georgia Tech. Because Wake, when they win, they usually beat the crap yeah, out of the opponent. Yeah, they do. They, they don't slip by. They they handle their business when they when they do it. But they, it, And you can say this is just about every team, I think. You look at the resume and you're like, that's a weird-looking resume. Like yeah. That's a good win, but how did they lose to that team? And then they lost to that team, but then they beat that team. And that's why it's hard to sit here and make <laughs> proclamations because – I don't know who the hell Wake's going to lose to as they move forward, and you wouldn't be surprised if they lost to pick a damn team in the ACC, and I don't think that would be surprising. The Charlotte 49ers saw their eight-game win streak end last night. What went wrong for the Niners? We'll talk about that next, 730 of the game. Charlotte 49ers saw their eight-game win streak come to an end last night against South Florida, 72-69, to a game you heard right here on 7.30, the game. A heartbreaker for the Niners, a game they led 
basically the entire way. USF did not take their first lead until, I think, 26 seconds to go in the game when they went ahead of Charlotte by one at that point in time. And this was a loss, and I was talking about this on Al's show, that I think it goes across the board here. There's not one player, coach, that you sit there and point to and go, "That, that was the reason. The Charlotte 49ers lost this game. It was a collective disappointment down the stretch. A 17-point lead, their largest blown lead in the game since 2017. We know the comebacks they've had in this eight-game win streak of two times being down 20 to come back and win. And there were three different parts of this game where I thought Charlotte had it won. End of the first half, USF made a little run. And then Charlotte gets a three from Dean Reber. They get the alley-oop to Isaiah Folks to end the first half. They're up 10. You think, all right, killed any momentum. Then the second half, USF comes out, starts hot, but then Charlotte responds. That's when they they develop that big lead. I'm like, all right, the Niners got it. And then the, the last time I thought, all right, they got this, is it was 65-61. USF had scored. Niners actually went quick the other way. Milicic hits a three in the corner. They're up seven, about four and a half minutes to go. All right, that's it. Niners got this done. They only score one point the rest of the way, and it was, I I thought, Mark, a complete team kind of effort. I know some Niner fans blaming the officials. Mario was one texting me last night. I don't don't look at that game and say the referees or why the Charlotte 49ers saw their eight-game winning streak snap. No, that's not what I walked away feeling, that they, they got the short end of the stick there. Bobby, I'll throw one more in there, actually. When South Florida misses the two free throws on the flagrant foul, I'm just thinking that's the way things are going right now for Sharp. They're going to find a way to escape this. Even though they, they this league is, lead has gotten whittled down, they're just going to find a way. But unfortunately, this time that they couldn't find a way. And I'm with you. I thought at the end of the half they were in good shape. They got up you know, 15 there, second half. I thought they were in good shape. And as I said, I thought they were even in good shape when, when they missed those two free throws. But the one thing I thought they got away from that was really working first part of the second half was going inside to Jackson, and I thought they got away from that, and I think that's where this offense started falling apart. And it's not a surprise. Like, the way that it that you lost and the opportunities that you had, it, it's disappointing. Not a surprise for Charlotte. Now it's just turning the page to the response here for this team. To be in it, to have those chances the way they did against a really good team, a top team in the conference right there with them, and still compete. I mean, to me, it's still validating in a way you haven't gone out and just had that complete dud of a game and of course you didn't or in that uh, eight game win streak and now it's important of not having that dud of not letting one become two especially as Bobby mentioned even earlier this week a winnable schedule here these next few I games. mean for 30 minutes they could have played about the best yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I know I was I, like I, out of the eight game win streak and I know they've led four of those games wire to wire. I thought this was going to be fifth. I was like, this team is playing another really good team yep. at eight and one. And they're in a, and what was a good crowd. I didn't know what the crowd was going to be like last night. They showed up. So shout out to the, the people down in Tampa that were there. But I was like, Niners playing fantastic in this game through the first 30 minutes. Yeah. I'm watching it. And look, I've not seen every single play, but I was like, I can't imagine they've they played much better for 30 minutes than what, what I'm watching here right now. This offense was precise. The passing was good. On the other end, they were making defensive plays, and then it just it just fell apart. And like you said, Bobby, it wasn't one particular area, but you can point towards Lukai's flagrant foul they called. I Which didn't, was the right call? It was the right call. Sorry, Mario, but it was. 
I wasn't crazy about Igor's three that he took. I know he was open. I know he could hit that shot. I, as they mentioned it on the broadcast, he had a, he had a driving lane there. I thought he could have gone the basket. He airballs that three, and it just kind of yeah, fed in I didn't in love everything. that shot because I thought it was rushed. Could he yeah. make the three? Yes, yeah. but usually Igor's threes, I don't know. They, they feel they like come they're within a little bit the more flow of what, of the, yeah, what yeah. is going on in the offense, and that one felt like, all right, here, you're going to shoot this shot. Like yeah. It's set for you. You're going to shoot it, and he just kind of turned – Air ball. I looked at the monitor for a second to see if it was tipped. It didn't look like it was when it's live, and clearly it showed it wasn't. And then you go after that. I mean, you're only down one. They make the two free throws. They go up three, and Nick Graves takes this, like, hanging in the air, like yep. he's suspended in time <laughs> trying to shoot some three. I believe they had a timeout, too, and that's – I get you want players to play, but at some point you're kind of watching things happen. Do you try to get the referee's attention if you're Coach Fern and that staff and call timeout and try to regroup – for a better look that is out there. And as I talk about being a, a team loss, and I text her in talking about Patterson and his struggles down the stretch, right, Lukai makes the mistake. Uh, he missed free throw down the stretch of that game. He was not great. Nick Graves was the top player in the AAC in assist-to-turnover ratio, and he just gets the ball. I mean, someone went into the cookie jar and yeah. just took it right from him and went down for a layup for South Florida. We mentioned Milicic. You know, Jackson had the three fouls. I don't know if that played a part in some time that he wasn't playing there in the second half, but it was disappointing, and that's what leads now to Sunday. Because to Molly's point, it's not the end of the world, right? We knew they were going to lose at some point in time. Your hope here is now that this will be a loss that is a lesson for this team and what they need to do. It's like North Carolina. We thought the loss to Georgia Tech was going to be the lesson. Then you beat Duke, and... And you come out and less than time come again. Up, come up flat. <laughs> you can't afford that if you're Charlotte. You need to, to keep this going. And the schedule upcoming has winnable games that we've talked about that they get to play here. And it starts Sunday against the Temple Owls on the road. South Carolina, they do it again last night. Beat Ole Miss 68 to 65. Sixth straight win for the Gamecocks. And they've held their opponent to 65 and under in all six games. Continuing to be damn impressive of what we're getting. From the game guy. I, I just I, I I have tried. I could not come up with a better story right now in college basketball than what we're seeing in Columbia with Lamont Paris, what he's doing, and the fact that it took until this week for them to get ranked, and then they are ranked and they immediately jumped to fifteen. And it wasn't like last night where they went, Okay, we're yeah, ranked. Good good up. for us. No, they didn't mess it up and the people are starting to show up for every game now. It's not just Kentucky down there or Tennessee or whatever. This is you know, they had a Full house last night for Ole Miss, who's who's good, but that that was again. You just you keep walking away, man. Man, if Lamont Paris doesn't win National Coach of the Year, I, I don't know who's going to win it. So you had that game, but most eyes, Mark, last night they were at Austin, <laughs> the Texas. eyes of Texas, Bobby, as the Longhorns in Iowa State. Iowa State up seventeen at the half. Longhorns make a push, but they come up short. Molly, what happened? Please Iowa recap State that for won, us. And it was a gritty, gutsy win. And still a gutsy, gritty loss. We knew, if you guys listened to me yesterday, Man, we if knew If you can leave a game, Mark, where both close. teams are gutsy yeah. and gritty, that's you got a hell of a game. Big 12. Big 12. That's the identity of that conference this season. We knew it was going to be a close one. Iowa State needed it. Now you are right there. Look, Baylor, I think they still got a win last night, so it didn't necessarily help uh, Iowa State as they were just a half a game back. But... You still stay in that just where you need to be of the Big 12 race. I, I cannot wait for the Big 12 tournament. John Shambi, 
Fran Fraschilla and Molly <laughs> on the, the call film, for yes, yeah, yes, from from Kansas City, wherever they're playing. Yeah, it. yeah I, man. I'm, I, do we send Molly out there? I think yeah, we, we do. Should we send her out now to Ames? Yeah, you <laughs> and should. Just get the pulse get a, of yeah, the Cyclones. What's going on? Yeah, let's do with it. That program right now. Yeah. Did Brock Purdy go to Iowa State? Yeah, he yeah. sure did. So maybe she can go out this weekend and. Watch the, yeah. Yeah, watch the Super Bowl with his people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get their and on also Purdy just Mania. see what's going on with Iowa State Cyclone basketball. I'm so, glad I can be here for you guys. It's true. It's important. I I never knew I needed Iowa State athletics in my life, but now it's here yeah. and I'm I'm a big, <laughs> big fan. For this right. moment, uh, never for, again. <laughs> yes, we'll talk some Super Bowl. On the other side of the break, the 49ers, their favorites, but should they be? It's the afternoon rush, 730 of the game. Mike Tannenbaum this morning, giving his thoughts here on this Super Bowl. We are just two days away from Pick'em, which I don't know if you heard Al. He is now more receptive to something else helping decide if we need a tiebreaker. I don't know how much we need to spend on it. Maybe we should just have them do Pick'em early so we know. I I gathered that yesterday, being on his show, towards the end, that he was a little bit more receptive to finding a true winner in this thing than he, he got was called early. out of being not a dog, chicken, not a dog, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. not a dog. And I think that's hurt him over the last couple of days and come to the realization that he was wrong. So it is good that it looks like we will get a conclusion to our pick'em season here with Mark and Al. I mean, all tied. if the 49ers and the Chiefs could get a winner. Figured it out Sunday. Why can't Al and I get a winner figured out? 100%. Like, maybe you can do some, like, drills where you sure. got to get past the other yeah. one to see if you can sack the Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a good <laughs> Sure. Be a good Let's do it right drill. down here near the lake, too, where <laughs> what could possibly I go know. wrong? I mean, I, th- I can look out there and see you just Fall making up, a great Exactly. Play. Sure. So let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> let's make that happen. <laughs> Athleticism. That's all I would think of, Mark. Yes. In that moment. Oh, I was still crying. I saw that happen. All right, uh, back to actual sports. Uh, 49ers are favored by a point and a half. But you hear it from Tannenbaum, Molly. Should it be the other way? Should Kansas City be the favorites in this? Game? Yes, absolutely. Kansas City should be. First of all. They've been here before. Second of all, they've proven it time and time again. And San Francisco, well, yeah, you have a good team. You have the right pieces on offense. Overall, to me, the Chiefs, and you hear Tannenbaum in the defense. It's the defense. And it's Patrick Mahomes. To be honest with you, I think the Chiefs should just always be favored in the Super Bowl with the quick amount of success that we have seen here in the past seven years with Patrick Mahomes. So it should be the Chiefs. I am surprised San Francisco uh, is favorited here. It's their track record. And it's also, to me, they've just been more impressive in the playoffs. The 49ers, we we talked about it for two weeks. They should have lost to the Packers. You can make the case they should have lost to the Lions. The Chiefs, meanwhile, have been the more impressive, you know, team of the two to me. So yeah, I'm I'm surprised the Niners are favored, and I don't know why the Chiefs aren't. I'm with you guys. Consider, and it's to the point, Mark, you just made. In the playoffs, Kansas City they smoked Miami. Buffalo was a back and forth game. They won that one. Baltimore they were the better team throughout that game against the Ravens. The Niners last two on the road, by the way, yeah. for the Chiefs. Niners have played eight quarters, and they've probably been the better team in three of those eight quarters. Now, they've won, so they get credit for that. But also, you're taking a Kyle Shanahan that 
twice, once as a head coach, once as an assistant, has had a lead in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. Won a 28-3 lead. Now, 128-3 going to the fourth, but still a big lead going to the fourth. Couldn't get the job done. And we know what happened a few years ago when San Francisco and Kansas City met the first time they went around. Now, on Pick'em Friday, I'm taking the 49ers. But that's just because I want San Francisco to win. <laughs> and I have nothing have at nothing stake. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. I think I'm locked in at fifth place or whatever the hell it is this year. So that's fine with me. I'm, I don't. If, but if I was really making the pick... And it was the side, man, I'd be torn on it. And if I was trying to win money, not that you guys are playing for money. Well, but maybe I feel you should like we shouldn't even money. be having this conversation because you're pretty much telling Mark right now. Like, hey, yeah, you listen to the guy who is like basically under 500 and pick him this year. That'd be a brilliant strategy for you to try to do. I think Mark will go his own path. Al will go his own path. I mean, because the other side of this, I do think the 49ers roster wise one through 53 is better than Kansas yeah. City agreed and that's I'm sure why the 49ers are favored in this game but you go in terms of the key players the track record and the coaches that would make me slide more Kansas City and also on the Vegas side of things usually you're what's the betting public gonna do and you would think more people would be jumping on the Chiefs bandwagon on what this team is capable of doing here this season uh joe fan texted and the other thing is you have to look at how both teams got there and it was so much tougher for kansas city and it was no actually it ended up probably being tougher for san francisco yeah, yeah. tough on themselves but though. the road that it went through yeah you would definitely go the other way all right we'll talk more about the super bowl former nfl wide receiver mike pritchard lead nfl analyst at the vison gonna join us next 7 30 the game That was my dad over 30 years ago, voice of the Atlanta Falcons, calling a couple touchdown passes in the same game, and the wide receiver here catch those passes. Mike Pritchard, now lead NFL analyst at VEASAN, joining us here on the guest line. Mike, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for the memories right there. (laughs) Appreciate you hopping on with us, uh, Mike. And uh, go back then, because uh, when I saw the name, I was like, man, I know Mike Pritchard. And it goes back, obviously, to the Atlanta Falcons. And it was funny, I was looking at the highlight videos this morning. And as a Colorado guy, you come into the NFL with the Falcons, with Jerry Glanville and Dion. That had to be uh, uh, something, I, w- I would say the least. What's it like now, though, to see Dion coaching your alma mater? Oh, it's awesome. Uh, I mean, I, you know, as, as engaging as Dion is and the profile that he has as well, uh, I, I knew it was going to be a win-win for CU, my alma mater there. So, I mean, I'm proud of Dion certainly, for what he's achieved so far. Not done, uh, but, uh, you know, with Colorado being uh, under the spot, under the lamp, in the spotlight again, I mean, that, that's where the bus need to be. That's where they were when I was there, and uh, good times are back in, in Boulder, that's for sure. Well, that is uh, for sure. All right, Mike, let's get into the Super Bowl coming up Sunday there in Las Vegas. Niners uh, the favorite here, despite yeah. Kansas City and all the success. Are you surprised? San Francisco is the favorite in this game. You know, I, I kind of am because, you know, Patrick Mahomes and what they've done uh, and their journey this year to the Super Bowl is remarkable. 
I mean, they get the win at home. Okay, Miami, the cold weather, you get that. But then you go on the road and beat Buffalo, a two-seed, one of the hottest teams uh, in the league at that point, uh, and then just dismantle the Ravens uh, at home as well. So back-to-back road games uh, and playing the AFC, the elite of the AFC, and, and really playing solid football. I, I am shocked. Uh, as the 49ers, you know, we know that they started off slow against Green Bay and, and Detroit, and they came on and got come from behind victories. Uh, but, man, the way that Kansas City's playing with that quarterback, yeah, I am shocked that they're underdog. And, Mike, when you look at San Francisco, is there concern with this uh, Niners defense from what we've seen as of late? I think so. I, I think so. Not, not like, not your typical concern. Just are they going to be able to, to do enough in the first half uh, if Brock Purdy and that offense starts off slow, right? Uh, are they going to be able to stay in the game? Because they have given up big plays and they, they have given up, given up touchdowns. I mean, I, I was going over that earlier today in terms of uh, the red zone and, and the difference uh, in terms of the defenses from Kansas City and what they presented in terms of opportunities uh, in the red zone versus the opportunities uh, and the frequent opportunities that San Francisco's defense is allowing uh, in the playoffs. So, yeah, they're going to have to tighten up. they got two weeks to prepare for a scheme that they're familiar with and – uh, they need to step up. Uh, they definitely need to help out Brock Purdy, that, that young quarterback. And so for San Francisco, this is certainly a roster that is good enough. You think the window is still open there for the Niners. But what's at stake for Kyle Shanahan, considering when he was the uh, OC there in Atlanta, things did not go well in the Super Bowl. And then this last Super Bowl between the Niners and Chiefs, we know how that ended. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, for Kyle – uh, they had the blueprint, you know, John Lynch, I know he knows how to get to a Super Bowl, knows how to win championships, doing a fantastic job uh, building a roster. Uh, and then Kyle, the pedigree that he has from his dad, Mike Shanahan, and understanding, you know, how particular you need to be and, and how, how uh, lucky you need to be at times too. But I, I think you got to get the quarterback position correct. And they did that. Uh, but the roster has been set for a number of years. I, I think if Brock Purdy didn't get hurt last year, we, we might have saw this matchup last year uh, in the Super Bowl, but the Eagles prevailed and they won, and, and they ended up losing to Kansas City. So uh, I think these two teams, they, they both feel like they belong in this game, which makes it, makes it that much special, I think, uh, uh, coming up here on Sunday. Mike, uh, most of the season, we saw this Chiefs offense look out of sync. You had guys dropping passes. Travis Kelsey wasn't even uh, immune from it. Uh, it just looked out of sorts. And then it felt like towards the end of the regular season – they kind of started to find their way. I think the running game was a big part of that. How have you seen this Chiefs offense kind of evolve here in the last couple, uh, month or so? It feels like they flipped the switch, meaning they got to the playoffs, they qualified for the playoffs. Okay, now we know how to get through the playoffs and get the Super Bowl uh, because everybody's um, increased the level of their play. you know. And, and I, I think I contributed that to Patrick Mahomes and certainly Andy Reid uh, understanding that. I mean, the season is so long and – uh, the rigors of that, yeah, you're right. You're not going to always play your best football, but they're playing it at the right time. I, I think it's just the will to win, the know-how, and, and knowing how to manage what is expected of you at this part of the season. And a lot of guys, they don't know how to do that. I mean, Baltimore, for instance, falling apart, and uh, I think you can say the same uh, for Detroit uh, and and certainly Green Bay. Not not knowing how to win games in the National Football League, uh, that, that normally – normally is a detriment for you uh, and certainly makes you come up short a lot of times, more so than knowing how to win. Kansas City is just a team that knows how to win right now. 
Mike, even though he doesn't play here anymore, a lot of eyes around here will be on Christian McCaffrey on Sunday as he tries to get his first Super Bowl ring. Uh, does he remind you of anybody that you played with back in your day in the NFL with, with what he can do, not only running the ball, but catching the ball out of the backfield? Yeah, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Ricky Waters. Um, you know, Ricky was a little bit bigger than Christian. I watched Christian grow up, obviously, when I was living in Colorado, and, and I was roommates with his dad, Ed McCaffrey. And, um, you know, later on, as Christian became a high school player, you know, you, you see how talented he was. But he's a tough runner. Uh, he's a tough runner between the tackles, but he's also uh, exciting outside and outside as a receiver if he needs to do that, too. He's just a, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete, as you guys know. Uh, and San Francisco's lucky that they made that trade and, and they got him. And uh, he's done wonders for this offense. I mean, he's extremely confident. He's healthy, uh, which is another big deal, I believe, for San Francisco. Time with Mike Pritchard, lead NFL analyst at VSIN here on the afternoon rush, Super Bowl on uh, Sunday. And there's been things thrown out there, Mike. Andy Reid, hey, he could walk away after this. Do you buy that, that he would walk away with a primed Pat Mahomes? You know, there's nothing wrong with going out on top. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Uh, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And uh, I, I think if there's smoke, um, there, there could be fire with this because you don't often talk about retirement until you're absolutely done, especially when you've been in the league uh, as long as Andy Reid has and accomplished what he has uh, as an as a assistant coach. Uh, now, you know, certainly as a head coach legendary, uh, he's destined for the Hall of Fame. You know, you get to a point where there's nothing else to prove and, and maybe other interests uh, come into play too, or, or family time. You know, a lot of things become more important to you. I mean, we, we all had blinders on when we played, and certainly as coaches, because you have to. You have to be that, that focused. But uh, if there is some rumblings, if there's some smoke like that, then yeah, I think there could be fire behind that as well. And for Patrick Mahomes, are we starting the GOAT conversation just maybe a tad too early, maybe a week too early for Patrick Mahomes? I mean, considering. Uh, who was goats before? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got John Elway that was out there. I mean, you you have certainly Joe Montana, uh, and then now lately, lately uh, Tom Brady. Uh, what Patrick has done though uh, in his brief career so far is unprecedented. It really is, and uh, I, I think he's single-handedly elevated that roster in terms of the confidence and belief uh, that is needed. Eric Bieniemy told me this uh, not too long ago that he's the, the most fierce competitor he's been around. Uh, and that, that's a bold statement from Eric, knowing how competitive he was uh, personally. So it, it's early, but at, we might be too early. But I, at, at some point, I think it's going to come true uh, that we will anoint him the GOAT. Mike, uh, Brock Purdy, individually, does he have the most pressure of anybody here on Sunday? That's an interesting question because – I. Uh, San Francisco did a great job of taking the pressure off of Brock all year long. Uh, and then I think he felt it certainly against Green Bay, and then he felt it again against Detroit. But he overcame that pressure. He overcame uh, some obstacles right there that, that was slowing him down. So if, if he can forget about that and certainly use his confidence to his advantage, then, then I don't think he's going to feel any pressure. I think Kyle Shanahan probably has the most pressure of anybody. Uh, because everybody knows he's uh, the best play caller in the game. Uh, and the only thing he's got left to do, uh, you know, to kind of cement that uh, is win a Super Bowl, right? He's got a monkey on his back, uh, uh, so to speak. But, no, I, I don't think Brock is going to have too much pressure on him because the franchise and the players around him have done a nice job of alleviating him of that. 
Mike Pritchard here in the afternoon rush. Mike, last thing, you mentioned Eric Bieniemy and uh, saw he was uh, there with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, yesterday. Where do you think he ends up? Do you think he gets that shot as a head coach at some point here in the NFL? You know, it's hard to say because I think the league is trending a different way with trying to communicate uh, and trying to relate to today's athletes. You know, Eric is an old-school type of coach, and Bill Belichick is an old-school type of coach. Mike Rabel is an old-school type of coach. Pete Carroll, old-school type of coach. And those guys are out of work right now from a head coaching standpoint. So I think if there's a meeting of the minds or a willingness to kind of merge that type of style and, and certainly understand that they can communicate with today's athletes, then, yeah, I think there's going to be a place certainly for Eric. And he's got a bright future. He's if not in the national football, perhaps in college. I mean, he's, he does wonders with players um, as being a former player himself, but then also he's just so creative uh, offensively that I, I think he'll eventually find some spot. Mike Pritchard, lead NFL analyst at VSIN. Mike, we appreciate your time here in Charlotte. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Thank you very much. There you go. Good stuff uh, with Mike Pritchard, long time in the National Football League as a wide receiver and a lead NFL analyst at VEASAN here as we talk Super Bowl 58. I 